1: Hello everyone. Today I am chatting with Dr. Allison Young. Dr. Young is a practicing family physician in Ontario, Canada. She has been practicing for the past decade and over that time has become increasingly aware of the mental health crisis facing children and teens. After speaking with patients and examining the research, it's becoming clear that social media and video games are causing a significant deterioration in their mental health. She is hoping to raise awareness about this topic by educating parents and providing strategies to reduce the harm caused by these devices. In today's episode, we cover things like what the research is saying when it comes to social media use, what is the ideal time to hand over a phone or social media to kids, how to talk with your kids about establishing their sense of self before introducing a phone, and so much more. Let's dive right in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, this podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All right, everyone. We have Dr. Allison Young here today. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. So as you know, on this podcast, we have talked several times about social media and you know, just encouraging you to... Minimize usage and recheck your usage. And today I am excited because Dr. Young is with us and she is a practicing family physician. And she does a lot of educating on social media about the use of social media and in children, which I'm like very excited to talk to you about today. So I would love to hear from you about what originally sparked your interest in kind of diving deeper into the effects of social media on the mental health of children and adults.
0: Yeah, so I've been practicing for about a decade now. And in Canada, I'm not sure how it is in the States, like we we have a pretty big shortage of psychiatrists and even psychologists and counselors sometimes. So, a lot of mental health falls in our hands, which is which is great we like it, but we manage a lot of it ourselves. And so, you know, since I've pre- been practicing, my colleagues and I have all noticed this Shift in increases in mental health visits that are coming in, just more of them, more complex. And, you know, we've always questioned why, and we talk about it, and we're like, you know, is this just the way kids are these days? Have things changed? Are we just the old people now that we don't get Mm -hmm. what's happening? And I think it was really when I came back from my second MAT leave in 2022, and it just seemed that much more. Obviously, that was kind of post COVID as well. But, you know, I was seeing a lot of kids. What kind of tipped me off was I was seeing kids who would check all the boxes for depression, anxiety, ADHD, whatever it would be. We put them on meds, you know, sometimes three medications these kids would be on and they weren't getting any better. They would just keep coming back, not better. I was like, what what's going on? So I started to just try to ask different questions and get to know them in different ways. And I would say like, You know, what, what do you do for extracurriculars? Like what brings you joy? What do you like to do? Mm -hmm. And it just, it was like time and time again, they would just look at me kind of blankly and, you know, notion to their phone, which was of course right beside them in the encounter and, and say like, I don't know, like I go on my phone or I go on YouTube, you know, these kinds of answers over and over. And I was like, okay. So I just started going into the research and realizing like this is a massive, problem. I'm also married to a high school teacher and my husband comes home all the time and he's he's so frustrated. He's like, I can't get these kids to focus. I can't get them to put their phones away. So there's the you know academic side that I've been trying to look at as well. So I just mm-hmm. felt like I had to speak out. I felt like not enough people are aware or people are aware, but they really don't know the extent of it or they don't know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. So
1: that's That's why I am here. Yeah. So a quick question, quick side question. The phone usage in classrooms, I find this to be fascinating because when I went to high school, and I'm sure like when you went to high school, had there been phones during that time, they would have never been allowed in the classroom. I am so unsure as to why these are even allowed into the classroom. And we do have towns around here that, you know, they, they did make a rule where you are just not allowed to bring your phone to school. And you're definitely not allowed yeah. to have them in the classroom. Not all schools are like that. And the ones that we have our kids in, I mean, obviously, my kids are too little to even be near that age range right now. Anyways, but they don't have that rule. And so it worries me because I'm like, why on earth? What do you need your phone for, first of all? And like, I guess one of the main things is the parents... Are like we will be very upset if we can't reach our child. We want to be able to reach Correct. our child, and and some and yep. some of them are saying like if there's an you know an active shooter, we want to know from our know from our kids that they're okay. I'm like the last thing you want is your kid's phone going off when there's an active shooter in a school. That to me I is know. like cuckoo bananas, right? So no, I, I just so I think the majority of this is like these schools don't want to go head to head with the parents that want their kids to have their cell phones, which is like what how can they learn when they have this constant distraction it's it's absolutely insane and like the the
0: data on schools and learning and devices it's i mean it couldn't be more clear or just more common sense that you you can't learn when you have a phone in front of your face so uh, i feel like it's at least where we are it's become just these equity issues and it's like these higher ups saying you know we can't take people's phones away because that infringes on their rights. To, I, I don't know. Like, it, it seems like this really big, complex issue when it shouldn't be. And I agree. Like, parents, we never used to talk to our parents when we were at school. Like, this doesn't need to happen. But, you know, parenting has changed in that way, too. And mm-hmm. some parents get very anxious if they can't contact their kids. So, I mean, I'm a huge advocate for not having them. I, and I know some, some schools are saying, okay, you can't have them in class, during class, but then you can have them in between classes and in the hallway. Like it just
1: becomes so muddled at that point that, you you know? Right. And instead of like conversing with your classmates, you're just on with like a bunch of strangers on the internet. It's just so strange to me. Correct. Yeah. And oh gosh, there was one other thing I wanted to add to that too with the phones. Gosh, what was it? I'm sure it'll come back to me. Yeah, yeah. I just it's it's the most wild thing to me. I just I feel like you know you're there to learn, and how could you possibly do that when you have? Oh, that's what I was going to say. So as a parent, I feel like it's so important for my kids to know how to navigate the world on their own. Like right, like that's our job as parents Mm -hmm. is to teach our children how to be independent. So when they leave our house, they have the tools they need. Okay. So how I think about this is, okay, if my kid starts to rely on some device, whatever it is for everything, what happens if their phone dies, their phone gets broken and drops it in the toilet and they need to, how are they supposed to navigate that without completely freaking out? Right. And, and, being able to navigate that situation. Someone who has been tied to something that gives them instant access to whatever they might need won't know how to navigate, right? So like say they're driving and they have up on their, you know, up on their phone, they have like the navigation. Okay. This is telling me where to go. Well, what happens if your phone dies or you lose reception or like, I want my children to be able to navigate that situation calmly and effectively. And I feel like when you tie them to these devices, that's when things go awry because something happens and they don't have that device and then they lose all control of their situation. They just weren't taught how to handle certain things. Like if my child gets lost, we do this we'll go skiing right and if my kid gets lost and we lose her she doesn't have a device i tell her listen if you lose me we are going to meet right at this location if i don't right. know where you are this is where i will be and i always tell them these certain things before we do things and then that way we're able to communicate on a you know without an actual device like this is how this is our plan and then when they get older they will incorporate those things into their into their lives and it won't involve a device i just feel like they're not learning anything when we're, when they're just able to have everything at their disposal all the time, you know? Well, and to piggyback
0: on that a little bit, I I agree with everything you're saying. And what we see too, is at a young age, children are being given devices to manage behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. So when you hand over an iPad at the first sign of boredom or the first sign of upset or anxiety, they, they continue that trend as they get older. And so we're mm-hmm. seeing a lot of teenagers that are unable to sit with any uncomfortable emotions whatsoever because they're so they're so used to just going on their device when they feel anything to distract right. themselves. And that's right. another really big problem. Yeah,
1: yeah. You're so right. Uh, I would love to hear from you. I feel like there's this school of thought where we definitely have solid research that's come out that says, listen, we believe that there are negative outcomes of phone usage and social media usage. However, I feel like there's always this caveat of what we don't really know for sure, like long term what. Yeah. And I in my head that caveat always makes me so mad because I'm like, okay, so what you're know. saying is there's, what you're yeah. saying is there's negative effects. Who gives a crap? What happens? Yeah. Well, obviously the long-term effects are negative. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? I know. I know do You know what I mean. I think so, sometimes
0: anyway. you lose sight of the, the common sense part of it, right? Like, yeah, right. data, data so, is
1: in a perfect bubble. Yes. So I feel like, Whenever I will read an article that I'm like, oh, this is interesting, and of course, you know, it's it's highlighting all the different things that you know the reasons why we should limit usage, but then it's always like, you know, however, you know, scientists don't really know what this is going to mean long term, or you know, and to me, that's always like, it's always like this little blip that oh, but yeah, just keep using it, and see what happens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, it drives yes. me crazy. Anyways, I'd love to know from you what you have found throughout, you know, reading research on this particular subject, what you have found to be the most profound, what you what makes you feel like are the are the reasons why you feel the way you do about social media and phones? Okay,
0: so this might be a little bit of a long winded answer. And I apologize, they won't all be this long. But I want to kind of give a sense of where teens are at right now, like just in general, their mental health how bad is it? Because I think Mm -hmm. we need to get an appreciation for how bad it is. And then Mm -hmm. sort of look at, okay, is that linked to social media and other things? So in general, their mental health is terrible. It's getting worse as years go by. This is true, especially for girls. You know, we're having historical rates of depression, self-harm, loneliness, suicidal attempts and completions. So just a few steps. If we look at depression rates among U.S. 12 to 17-year-olds, they've risen 145% for girls and 161% for boys since 2010. There was a 2023 CDC survey that showed 57% of girls now say that they experience persistent sadness or hopelessness. 57. Which was up 57. That's like Crazy. And yeah. And as a comparison, so in 2011, that figure was 36. I mean, still hot, hot, too high, but... 30% of teen girls now say they've seriously considered suicide. And strikingly, so when we look at younger younger kids, which we can get mm-hmm. into later, but suicide rates for girls age 10 to 14 is up among all Anglosphere or English-speaking countries. So in Canada, where I'm from, up 105% since 0709. I think in the States, it's actually 175% increase, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's the highest since record keeping began. And what you see when you look at this data is that these trends towards worsening mental health, they all start to trend up in and around 2010 or 2012. Like millennials were actually doing pretty well. And so what happened around that time? So if you look at that time in 2010 is when Instagram launched. It's also the same year the iPhone 4 came out, which was the phone with the front facing camera. So Mm -hmm. Mm thus began the selfies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In 2012, (laughs) Facebook bought Instagram. So that's when all that blew up in popularity. And 2012 was also around the time when you were in the minority if you didn't have a smartphone as an adult. So Mm -hmm. it's really just like where the tech landscape took a turn and We see now we've got like over a decade since, and we just see that these trends keep getting worse. I mean, again, I don't need to bore you with studies, but there are, I have like a 200 page document on studies that show the correlations between social media and mental health. Like it's really, it's really quite striking. And that's not even getting into the physical harms of social media and video games and kids being stationary for that Mm -hmm. many hours a day and not moving Mm -hmm. their bodies you know there's that and that's not even getting into the safety concerns online with predators and child sexual abuse material and all of that stuff right like there's just so many reasons to believe that it's not safe and not a whole lot of data suggests it is safe i kind of make the comparison to smoking and how they started to learn about an association between smoking and cancer early on but it took like 40 years to prove the causation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and especially when we don't have data transparency from the tech
1: companies, like it's going to be hard to prove things without that. Right. And I feel like this is one of those things where in 40 years, Mm -hmm. we are going to wake up and be like, holy crap, like we really effed this up, right? Yes. Yes. And you know, I I guess the the positive spin to this is I personally have seen a difference in the way that parents are starting to navigate screen time for their kids in my kid's age group, like my oldest kid's age group. So my oldest is 10. And every single one, well, I shouldn't say that. I think there's one kid that she knows that has a phone and I don't think it has any social media on it, but I I don't know for sure, but the majority of her friends, and I've talked with the parents, they do not allow phone, like, they don't have a phone. Yeah, She does have one other friend who is a year older than her that does have a phone, but it's like a dummy phone. And it's for her only, she only gets it when she's going out somewhere and needs to call for a ride or something. Like it's not for, you know, any type of, yeah, which I will give to my oldest when she is 12 or 13. But again, a dummy, like you flip it up and you dial a phone number. Like that's what we're talking about. We have those too. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I do feel like... There is a we are recognizing that this is a problem and we're seeing, you know, parents are seeing these articles come out in these newspapers or what have you, and they're like, oh shoot. And and maybe they're starting to make a change. But again, that could just be where I am locally. Like it could be totally different somewhere else. I don't know. But and obviously it is different because you see these young kids on TikTok and YouTube all the time, right? Yeah, I know. I do, I am hopeful that they're that parents are trying and they're educating themselves and they're trying to figure out what the best way to navigate it is. And that has been to definitely withhold it for longer. So I'm, I'm happy that, you know, my oldest is, is able to, and I'm, I'm hopeful for my younger ones too, that it'll just get better and better as we go. But yeah, it's, it's a really hard thing to navigate because then in my head, I think, okay, so I, I really don't want to introduce social media to my kids. Like if I had the choice, I would not introduce social media to my kids. Why? Because yeah. I had in my own experience with it and I know that how how it negatively impacted, impacted me. I don't think I had, maybe I had maybe one or two positive things from that experience. Everything else has been negative, right? So if there's anything in your life that is 95% negative, are you going to continue to do that thing? Probably not. And it's just funny that we keep, you know, subjecting ourselves to the same thing over and over, even though we know that ninety five percent of this is going to negatively impact us, or you know, whatever the percentage might be. But anyway,s I don't know where I was going with that. I'm going on this long. Tangent. <laughs> well, <laughs> what the hell it, am I talking about?
0: I, no, you're totally right. And and I would I would just add to that too. Like I I've come across some of these accounts that are they're I mean they're they're trying to run a business, but they're saying like. You know, it's it no, it's okay for your your child to be on social media. Just sign up with us and get our you know mm. digital citizenship training, and and then they'll be okay because we're going to teach them how to properly use the stuff. And yes, I would just say to parents, although I I think digi- digital citizenship is very important and absolutely we should be doing that for our kids, that shouldn't give us a reason to give it to them at an age when they're not ready just because it's available. Like mm-hmm. it's going to be very difficult to teach an 11 year old how to navigate the insanity of the internet. So use those tools, but be cautious about when you see things like that, because I still think the data is suggesting the younger you get it, the worse you are. And the longer you can wait, it's just going to be that much better for everybody. You're right. you're prevent preventing harm as opposed to reducing harm. Do you
1: know what I mm-hmm. mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And where I was going with that too was, so that is my question. So I think I've read something and, you know, I'm probably going to mess this up completely, but it was something along the lines of, you know, females ages, I don't know, 13 to 15 are when they are actually most vulnerable to social media, meaning they are going to be most effective negatively as far as their mental health during that age range. And so I feel like that's kind of when it's introduced in general, right? Like it's like this this preteen, teen teen age. And if we want to teach our kids how to effectively and safely use social media, when are we introducing it to them? You know what I mean? Because I do understand that aspect as well, where it's like, well, I don't know if I want my kid to be 18 and leaving my house when they first download Instagram for the first time, because that's not good either. Because They need to know how to navigate it properly. And so then the question becomes, and I'd love to know what your thoughts are. Mm -hmm. What would you do with your own kids? Like what would your process be as far as like phone and social media usage with them?
0: Yeah, so I thought about this a lot and I tried to read as much as I could before I kind of came to a decision. And I tried to come up with something that might be easy for parents to remember and reference back to. So for me, I came up with these four R's. And first of all, what I would say is, you know, your your child's first phone probably doesn't need to be a smartphone, right? Like you said, the, mm-hmm. most parents give their kids a phone because of safety first. So yes, get them a dumb phone, get them a, a bark phone or one of these child safe phones that have no apps and no internet browser. Do that first. Let them have some responsibility with a phone that does nothing. And that'll get you by for a long time because they don't need mm-hmm. anything else other than that. So these four R's are responsible, respectful, resilient, and risk aware. So responsible. So that would be asking yourself, does my child put forth a good effort in school? Can they order for themselves at a restaurant? Can they talk for themselves at the doctor? Do they do their chores and their homework without a big fight? You know, could they babysit another child? That's responsible. Respectful, are they respectful to you and your house rules? Do they talk back? Do they break rules often? Do they respect their siblings, their teachers? Are they already engaged in a lot of friend drama? Because that does not get better on social media. Mm-hmm. Are they resilient? So this is going to be the, the one piece that sets, I think, the ages apart. Resilient, I'm really looking at, number one, do they already have mental health struggles that they're dealing with? Are they anxious? Are they depressed? You know, social media is very likely to make that worse. Those kids are at higher risk to begin with. So are they already struggling? But do they have a sense of who they are in the world? Do they do they, you know, have strong values? Do they know their positive negative attributes? Could they stand up for themselves? That piece, I would argue, 10, 11, 12, 13, they don't have that at those young ages. Mm-hmm. And so there's that. And then risk aware is have you had conversations about the risks of cyberbullying online predators sextortion all these things could they write you an essay about what this is and what to do if they encounter it so are they really aware of those things and i you know you hear 16 a lot and i think 16 is a good like ish gauge but there's going to be a lot of kids that won't be ready at 16 and there will be some mm-hmm. that would be just fine a little bit earlier than that too. I just say like, you know, your kid best and Mm -hmm. you should be having conversations about all of this stuff well before they go on. And I mean, we can get into some of that stuff, but you just really want them to be ready before you give it to them. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I think video games is a bit of a different dick. I don't know if you want to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Dive into it. Yeah. I mean, it's tough, right? Because like we... We'll go to someone's house. It's hard with kids because what we have for rules here are not obviously rules that are at everybody's house. And so, yeah. you know, our kids will go to another house and that's what they're doing. And it's like, so it's a mm-hmm. tricky, tricky thing to navigate. But yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts, even on video games. Like, I mean, I'm not talking about, oh my gosh, what's that video game that like everybody plays? It's like super violent. I can't remember right now. <laughs> this is how this really? is how educated. Yes. Well, I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> See, you nailed it. <laughs> versus like Super Mario Brothers or like, you know, something that's like an older school Sega Genesis type of thing. Obviously, I feel like those are two different things. But yes, I mean, I'd love to just hear your overall thoughts on it.
0: Yeah, I guess I have overall thoughts on video games. Like, I don't think video games are inherently bad Kids have played video games for many years. And of course, it's different now because there's the interactive piece, being able to Mm -hmm. talk to your friends and all of these things. I think the biggest problem with video games, I mean, more boys play video games than girls and boys tend to be diagnosed with depression and anxiety and these kinds of things less than girls do. And I think that's Mm -hmm. also just the fact that boys don't come forward with it a lot of the time. But with video games, I think it's mostly a time issue. We just have to be setting boundaries because these games are so addictive and they pull them in. And boys particularly can get pulled into these sort of fantasy worlds and they like to live there. And Mm -hmm. so if you give your child a choice 10 times out of 10, they're going to choose the video game. So you have to be the boundary. Boys tend to fall into loneliness, isolation, and just decreased motivation so you see a lot of you know trouble in school and they're just Mm -hmm. not going out and doing other things so it's just to be mindful of the time and when you look at the time for you know social media all of these things a lot of the studies start to see harms go up after two hours a day Mm. so i just kind of give the rule of thumb that like if, if you're gonna let your kids on this stuff if they're on it i would try to limit video games to an hour a day max Mm -hmm. maybe not every day probably shouldn't be every day and also pay attention to how they're interacting on it because there's also a lot of bullying and just kind of weird talk that goes on there so Mm -hmm. being aware that there's predators on video games and there's bullying and Mm -hmm. and all of that stuff but i don't think they're inherently bad yeah yeah it's the it's the time
1: This podcast episode is brought to you by Apostrophe. As I have gotten older, I have struggled more and more with rosacea. I always tend to get those rosy cheeks, and I'm hoping that with a little help from Apostrophe, it may be a little bit less noticeable. Apostrophe is an online platform that connects you with an expert dermatology team to get a customized skin treatment for your unique skin. With Apostrophe, you can get access to oral and topical medications that use clinically proven ingredients to help clear your skin. If you're interested It's as easy as filling out an online consultation about your skin goals and medical history. Then you snap a few selfies and a dermatology provider will create a customized treatment plan just for you. Apostrophe offers access to prescription treatments for all types of acne, from hormonal acne to facial acne, and even back and chest acne. My treatment goals are to lessen redness and dark spots while evening out my skin's texture. My service experience was quick, yet thorough, and my prescription arrived at my doorstep in just days. I love that this is all done from the comforts of our home without having to leave to the dermatologist's office or to the pharmacy. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash Lindsay, that's L-Y-N-Z-Y, and click get started. Then use our code Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y, at sign up, and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you to Apostrophe for sponsoring this episode. Yeah, I feel like there's less at stake, especially with the ones that don't have like the interaction. Like the interaction is kind of what creeps me out about it. I'm like, who are you talking? Like, who are you talking to? But like, well, and I see a lot of kids
0: in my office who it's sad they don't have any real life friends, and their only friends are these friends that they've met on video games that they've never actually met, and that's a concern to me, and and it's stressful for parents because parents are hesitant to put the boundaries and take them off mm. because they worry that they're going to get worse because now they don't have any access to anybody. But there has to be a balance because if we don't get them off of this virtual world, there's no
1: opportunity for them to meet people in person. It's really mm-hmm. sad, and they can't. Na- I mean, how are you wasn't be able to navigate any type of a relationship not having like that interaction with human beings you know what I mean like it's yeah it's wild social skills yeah 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 and I'm like looking back at your four r's and I'm thinking myself I don't know I don't even think not even all adults can check those off do you know what I mean exactly do I already have mental health struggles I don't know maybe I do Is it going to be, is it, you know, so if I'm, okay. And I talk about this frequently because I have this passion for, for moms and especially like moms that are straight out of, you know, like that first, that fourth trimester period where I Mm -hmm. feel like we are so incredibly vulnerable for so many different reasons. And we feel so alone in our experience, especially here in America where we have no support. And, you know, it's funny because I, almost, I I guess you could say I even fell into this trap, but as a creator and not a consumer. And I had started a blog in, in 2008. Why am I saying it like that? What a weird thing to say, 2008. So 2008, <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. And it morphed as I had my kids and from my first child in 2013. So then it kind of morphed into like, oh, shoot, I really want to be talking to moms. Like That's what I want this to be about. And I got sucked in like you said that same time frame of like 2012 and on yeah. okay where like where like everything became like super instagram heavy and oh and then you had instagram stories in 2015 and right. i felt like it was this oh my gosh it was like this crazy a lot of crazy feelings and things happening for me as like this newly postpartum mom, right? In 2013 and then 2015 and then 2017 and then 2020. And it was it's been really interesting to see it all evolve. But I was on my phone constantly. I as a creator, I had this like hashtag late night nursing feed where I'd post a topic for moms, so it'd be like, I don't know, anything, like how are you feeling tonight? Like are you feeling anxious or depressed, whatever it was. And I would just have a conversation starter for moms. And it was a post on Instagram and then moms would comment underneath it when they got up in the middle of the night to nurse their children. And Mm -hmm. it was like this really cool way to connect with other moms who were in the same Mm -hmm. experience as me. And so for me, that I will say I think that helped me feel less alone for sure. But I can't even begin to count the negative impact that had on on me over time because of how much time I was spending on my phone. right? Right. So I think it's so important to kind of like really line up your pros and your cons. And of course, by 2020, I realized this is not for me. Like I absolutely hate this and I need to get off of here. And this is really negatively impacting me. So I think there can be these brief moments of like, Dopamine hits where you're like, okay, I feel better. I feel like I'm less alone. But in the long run, you actually feel more alone. That's like how I feel about it. But I feel like social media is especially, it almost targets these vulnerable postpartum women who have nowhere else to go. And they like flock to the internet. And then you have these influencers that I mean, I was one of these people where like they're selling you these things that they that you think are gonna make your life easier and better as a mom who's desperately. Trying to find answers, right, for so many things, yeah. and it's it's predatory, really. It's like it's like well, they're and then like. So imagine you're 11 years old, and there's well, right. People trying
0: to like, it's, right, yeah, like, yeah. Right. I feel like there's this sort of sense that we can treat kids on social media the same way we can adults, but they don't have that frontal lobe, right? And so mm-hmm. to expect them to be able to handle the landscape that, as you say, as we, like, we struggle with it ourselves, how can we mm-hmm. expect them to not get sucked into these traps that are all over the place? It's, mm-hmm. it's so bad. I know. And the dopamine thing yeah. that you were hitting on is actually important, too, because as uh, you said it, that, you know, you get your dopamine hits here and there, and you do feel good. But over time, mm-hmm. you don't. And that's exactly what happens physiologically, is mm-hmm. that you're actual dopamine baseline starts to fall. And that's Mm -hmm. when it starts to invade the rest of your life and your, and your interests. So
1: Mm -hmm. it's very, that's an important part. We need to go back to that too. You mentioned the frontal lobe aspect. Can you just jump into that a little bit and just explain why the frontal lobe, how that affects children and their, you know, their ability to navigate like social media and certain situations? Yeah, so your frontal lobe
0: is the part of your brain that is required for judgment, decision making, insights. It's also a big part of your personality and it it gradually develops over time, but it's really not fully developed until your early to mid 20s. And so that's why obviously, you know, we see a kid that's 2 has no impulse control versus mm-hmm. a little bit older they they do. So when you're on social media and you're being pulled in by these addictive algorithms that are trying to keep you there and their sole purpose is to keep you there. Like they don't have that ability where you and I can say like, oh my God, I just spent 20 minutes scrolling and doing mm-hmm. nothing. Like I need to put my phone down and do something productive. They don't have that. So they will just keep going, but they'll still feel afterwards. Like I have so many kids come in that are are down and stress about school because they just don't feel like they're productive. And it's because they're not doing anything else with their time, because their frontal lobe can't pull them off. And interestingly, there was a study that was done that looked at nine and 10 year olds who were spending over seven hours a day what? on a smart, <laughs> yeah, on a smartphone, they're actually seeing thinning of that cortex, And we don't know exactly what that means yet. But that's I mean, terrifying to me, I'm thinking, yeah, like, is it because they're not using it? Like, is that cortex not going to develop because they're not actually using decision-making skills? They're not using relationship skills, which is, I I don't know. I don't know what it means, but that's really scary, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. It's it's terrifying. Now you mentioned, uh, we've kind of talked briefly, but we haven't talked about it fully. You mentioned like, Our kids need to have a sense of themselves within the world before giving them this opportunity to kind of like get into this like virtual world, whether it be social media or video games or what have you. And we talked in the beginning too about some of your patients that you saw where you were like, okay, what are some things that you like to do? You know, what are some of your hobbies? And Mm -hmm. I think this also goes for adults. When I was on social media and when I first deleted it, I'm not kidding you. I was like, what do I do with myself? Now I am a mom yeah. of 4. I work two <laughs> wow. different jobs and I still was like what am I going to do with my time? And my yeah. time meaning, you know, these I um, think about how much how much your screen time is and all of that time you are going to now gain. And there are just some things that I, I learned how to ski. I learned how, you know, I, I read a lot more and I have all these hobbies and I had them before, you know, and but that's because phones, you know, were developed like way into my lifespan. so i I knew that I could get back to, you know, doing these hobbies that I used to like. But mm-hmm. our children are growing up in a world where hobbies and using our hands is mm-hmm. not something that we do anymore, right? Like, when's the last right. time you saw somebody knitting? When's the last time you saw somebody like woodworking? Yeah. When's the last time you saw someone painting for fun? especially somebody who's an adult, you know, you'll see toddlers painting. I'm talking about like doing something that truly brings you joy. And when you talk to your kids, you want them to be able to say when they're 12 or 13, okay, these are all the things I love to do. In my spare time, I love to read. I love to draw new things. I love to go outside and build a fort, whatever it is, whatever it is. You want them to have all of these other outlets Where they feel a sense of self and where they can go when they're feeling stressed or anxious or frustrated. Because, again, like we've said throughout the podcast, when they have those feelings, those negative feelings, which we're all going to have, what they're going to do to solve that problem is go straight to a phone as opposed to going to one of these other, you know, couple of things that they truly love to do. And so, yeah, I feel like that's such an important part of this. And like, Maybe you even, like, I love your four R's because to me, this is a great way to to talk to your kids. Like, listen, I'm going to talk to you about, let's say your kid comes up to you and says, I want a phone, mom. I feel left out. I really want one. Okay. I will give you a phone if we can talk about four different things and we can say that you're able to do all these four things. So number one, you need to be responsible. You explain what that is and they need to tell you what they think responsible means and how they are responsible within their own life. Right. Yeah. You know, and going through everything and you can even make that a list that you guys work through and check off over the course of one or two years. And they earn that phone. I think that that's such a great way to teach them. You need to have all these things in place before you introduce something that can take a hold of you. And then you lose yourself. You need to be a solid. You have to have a solid foundation first. So that you can build on top of that and then you can recognize, oh shoot, I'm on my phone too much right now. I need to step back. I'm not feeling so good, right? They, you want them to be able to recognize that within themselves.
0: Yep. And, and already have an identity of interest that they, like you say, you can just go back, you know, I can't go on my phone anymore. Okay, have something else to do where mm-hmm. instead of like, this is the only thing that I have to
1: do. Right. Yeah. And maybe you just have them make a list of all these different other things that you could be doing right now besides using your phone. And I, it is, it's just so tough because I think part of the reason so many, and maybe this is like the number one reason why parents get their kids a phone is they don't want them to feel left out. Yeah. And their kid comes 100%. home and they're crying and they feel like their whole world has crumbled and they aren't part of a group. I recently had my oldest, she was like, and, and she'll only say this to me when she's exposed to it. So she was like, oh, all my friends have this like messenger app or whatever it is. I don't even know. I, I don't know if it's through Facebook or if it's like a separate app. I have no idea. Anyways, it's like <laughs> a few of her friends are able to message through there. And I right. looked at her and I said, okay, why do you want to have that? Like, what is it about that that seems appealing to you? And she's yeah. like, well, I can like talk to my friends at any time. And I said, okay. Well, like what are some of those times you – you would talk to them because you're in school for six hours. You come home, you do your chores, you play outside with your neighbor friends. You will sometimes go to sports or an activity, and then you read and you go to bed. So like where in that time frame do you think that you'll be like, Hey, I want to send a message to these people. And she's like, after midnight. Oh. Yeah. She's like, Oh, I don't know. And I'm like, okay, here's, here's what I'll tell you. If you want to talk to those people, let me know. And I will make a play date with them because that's what you want to do. You just want to spend time with that person. Like there's nothing that you need to be discussing with them that needs to happen on some, some app when you're 10 years old. I just, I don't understand, you know, but it, it's just like this feeling of being left out and I, feeling left out is like one of the worst feelings in the world, especially as a kid, right? Totally. You feel like there's nothing else in the world when you're feeling yep, 100. Like the only thing that matters.
0: It's maybe a good time to touch on, yeah. Peer pressure. Cause you're exactly mm-hmm. right. I think the number one reason why parents give their kids a phone is one of two things. It's safety and it's peer pressure. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so I think education here is key because it will help you to make an informed decision as a parent too, but really to navigate it in a mindful way. Like when we look at this idea of loneliness or FOMO or fear of missing out, I've looked at a bunch of studies that have looked into this. And what it really says is that if you're using social media to supplement in-person interactions, that can actually be okay. Like if you felt that it was appropriate for your daughter to go on the family computer and FaceTime with her friend for 10 minutes, that's okay because it sounds like she's doing all the other things. Where you run into trouble is when kids are going online to seek connections or to replace in-person relationships. So, and we know statistically kids are spending less time in person with their friends and that's because of these devices, but the loneliness rates really start to peak up when kids are on their phone again for like longer than two hours. So Mm -hmm. there's this whole thing and, you know, over 50% of kids are, are on their phones between midnight and 5am so they're not sleeping. oh yeah oh it's so bad it's so i think the stats on do you want some stats on yes um (laughs) wait let me finish what let me me finish finish your thought thought first (laughs) (laughs) my thought about the, the peer pressure and the fomo and all of that is to say they might feel a little bit left out in real life but they run the risk of feeling much more left out being on the devices so again mindful of the time when the time is right you limit their time but if you don't think they're ready yet you find parents with like-minded values get those kids together like it really only takes one or two kids to make a kid not feel mm-hmm. alone mm-hmm. start with that you know dumb phone where maybe they can text i think if if they go over to a friend's house let's say and and they play some video games or their friend has social media and so they're showing them some stuff on instagram you know i think that's okay because we can't protect them from everything, we mm-hmm. can't we can't monitor everything they do. But the big difference is that they don't have a mini computer that they are carrying around with them twenty four seven. So right. if they see something at their friend's house, I'm not so worried about that. It's really like the long game to protect
1: their their mental health versus mm-hmm. the short term being left out a bit, you know. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely, yeah. And I do think that if you were to talk to, you know, any child that was told at age 13, like, we are going to wait to give you a phone because we really want, we really value your connections and relationships with those around you. And we would rather you be in person with someone as opposed to, you know, talking to them, you know, via social media or just looking at people on the internet that you don't even know. And then asking them again, when they were like 20, how do you think, or even, you know, even older than that, like, how do you think, This affected you? Do you think it was a negative or positive impact? I just can't imagine any of these kids being like, that had a negative impact on me, right? Like, they're gonna look back and be like, I have so many great memories. Because even when you or I use our phone, we're like, well, shit, I just lost an hour of my life, right? That's how we think of it. That is also how those kids are gonna think about it. They are not gonna remember whose account they were scrolling when they were 15 years old, okay? Like, it's just not gonna happen. Right? I don't want TikTok to be your memory as a child. Right? And they're not going to remember that. They're not going to, you know, they're going to be like, I don't know what the hell I was doing. Like, nothing I was doing. I was doing nothing. There's a study that came
0: out in 2023 and it looked at, I think, 27,000 people globally. And it, people who are Gen Z now or young adults now, it looked at when did you get your first smartphone? And then it measures the well being now. And it was quite clear that the earlier that a kid got their first smartphone, their many measures of mental well-being were were worse as an adult and one of the main ones being their social self like if you don't curate that skill of being able to socialize with your peers as a child it's like learning a new language when you grow up like it's harder yeah so I mean and and to give we jump back now to like to give you an idea of how little they are using their social social skills now so a common sense media report just again 2023 said that kids are on their phones, just their phones, for a median of four and a half hours a day, which means half of kids are on there more than that. And in fact, 9% use their smartphones more than 10 hours a day. And screen time in general. So if you think about phone, video games, TV, whatever, screen time in general has been shown to average nine and a half hours a day. And then, yeah, it was 50% using it between 12 and five kids do not sleep. I see so many kids that come in and
1: they don't sleep. And it's because of these phones and it drives me nuts. And again, this cause and effect of like, okay, if you're not getting sleep, what's going to suffer the most? Your mental health. (laughs) Like
0: how are you supposed to battle
1: any of the? I mean- Number one most important thing for any human being is probably sleep. I yes. I would argue, right? Like that's probably 100%. the number one thing. But again, going back to
0: their frontal lobe, they don't have that insight to think that that's a big deal. They just think, well no, I can't sleep and you're they don't they can't draw that connection. So that's why the parent has to be
1: the frontal lobe. Right? And they're doing the most of their like the most that they're going to be learning in life is like happening during this period. Like how the heck can you learn when you don't even have a functioning brain? I know. Like I know. crazy. It's so it's crazy. Really oh my gosh, I feel like we could just go on and on. Is there anything <laughs> really um is there yeah. anything that we didn't cover that you think is important to mention before we wrap up? We could talk about do you want me to go over like the early warning signs? Yes. So say, say you felt like your kid was responsible enough to, to earn this phone. And now what are some things that we would want to know about that might be a sign that our kid is having problems with their phone, like it's causing some emotional, mental type issues? Yeah. So over
0: time, basically, like we touched on, they're going to be getting those dopamine hits. But over time, that actually leads to a decrease in their baseline dopamine. So what you're going to see there, dopamine is involved in motivation. So you're going to notice that they're less motivated to do things that they used to like to do. So they're going to have less motivation to do go to school, do their homework, go to outdoor play, hang out with their friends. They just want to be on their device, which is also going to lead them to be more isolated. So they're going to want to maybe be in their room more. they're going to be up into the night losing sleep. Now, again, if you've done all the good boundaries, then some of these things Mm -hmm. shouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. So less motivation, they're going to be quite irritable and anxious when screen time is over. Depending on the age of the kid, they could be physically, verbally abusive, sneaking around and breaking rules. So if you have set those boundaries and they're going around that uh, to get on their device, that's a warning sign. And then basically just never being happy enough with the amount of time that they're on it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. And I'd love to give us like some quick boundary hits of like what if you're setting up your phone for your kid, what are your boundaries going to be just personally? Yeah. So what I would
0: say is we've talked a lot about the the two hour framework is I think a really good thing to keep in mind, trying to keep device use to two hours or less and also assessing the content that they're consuming, like, look at it with them every once in a while, see what they're seeing on their pages. And then like you talked about the contributing versus consuming, right? Mm -hmm. That's obviously can be important. But okay, so limiting the time, weigh in every day to make sure that you have some balance with tech free activities. So you could have rules in your home, like, we don't go on devices until homework is done, we don't have devices during dinner, we have Sunday with no devices, whatever that may be. Just something that's routine based because then they know what to expect and they don't have to fight you on it. Mm -hmm. Yep. No screens in the bedroom is like my biggest. I'm like, if there's one thing that you do, just do not let them have their phones overnight. Some will advocate for no screens whatsoever in the bedroom. I think that's also a great idea, but I mean, Mm -hmm. that's for you to decide. But find somewhere for that phone to go overnight. It can't charge on their bedside table. It won't work. Use parental controls when you can. And I can give you a really good resource for those. Parental controls are excellent. They're mandatory. They're like a part-time job. And I feel like they're really onerous and kids can get around them. So all that to say, like, be mindful. They're not everything, um, but they're definitely important. Mm -hmm. And then just, I would say, like when you kind of set up this plan within your home, know your kid and know that if you see a change in your kid, it could be, because of what they're seeing online and so talking to them every day and Mm -hmm. you know making sure that you're a safe place because sometimes they run into trouble and they they don't feel like they can come to mom or dad so Mm -hmm. just making sure that you are that safe space no matter what happens that they can come to you and you may
1: have to change the rules if if you see them struggling yeah Yeah, absolutely. I would love to know your quick thoughts on that, the parental controls, because, you know, you hear about all these, some people like the iPhone because apparently the parental controls on that are really good. I've never tried it. Or like some of these other phone, you mentioned Bark earlier, and then there's another one that's really popular where you're able to control it from your phone. Is there one in particular that you like for different reasons or?
0: Well, see, I'm in Canada, so we don't get any of them, which really sucks. Um, but I think Bark is probably the biggest safe phone for kids, and they they do a lot of advocacy work. Like I think that they're they're a good option. There's Gab as well. Yes, Gab. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking. Yeah, of. the Protect Young Eyes is an Instagram page, and he has a wonderful website as well. He does a lot of work around the tech. So he'll have like any app you could think of that your kid might have. You can mm-hmm. go on his website. Choose it, and he'll walk you through all the parental controls, all the dangers, all that stuff. So he's like
1: amazing. I love that. That's great. Yeah, I, I will link yeah. to that too in the the show notes. Yeah, I'll send um, you a few. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Okay, so to wrap up, I am going to ask you two random questions. The first question is: If you could give moms one piece of advice, what would it be? Anything. Anything at all? Okay. <laughs> Anything at all? I would say
0: to let your kids fail and be okay with them failing, because the only way that we build confidence and decrease anxiety about new and challenging things is by being exposed to failing and not doing well. Mm -hmm. I think there is, I think, you know, I want to also be clear, like, I don't think that smartphones is the only cause of everything that's, that's going wrong with teens these days. It's obviously multifactorial and and Mm -hmm. nuanced, but I do think just this sort of overprotection is really damaging kids' mental health, and they just don't feel confident to do anything on their own, even like mm-hmm. into university. So mm-hmm. let them fall. Let them fail. Yes. Yes. that will be better for it. Yeah.
1: Yep. Okay. Last question is, if you can make one meal for your family that everyone would eat, that's relatively quick oh and God. easy. <laughs> what would it be? That everyone would eat. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, listen, I've had i've had I've had people say McDonald's. I've had people say we're getting pizza We're you know,. It yeah. <laughs> okay,
0: I'm gonna go with tuna sandwiches and soup. My really? Kids are pretty good at this moment with those things. Yes, oh my gosh. See, I wish my kids would eat tuna fish. That's easy, but they won't like oh reliably eat pizza. It's really weird. day to day, right? Like <laughs> cooking is not.
1: Yeah, no, it's, well, it's, it's, it's actually my worst nightmare, to be honest. Yes, <laughs> it really is. Yes. And I've, I've come to the conclusion, like I'm okay now with the fact that like my kids won't eat what I make and I don't care anymore. I just don't care. I really don't. I'm like, I don't care. You can't care. Here are, you can Here are raw veggies. You can have raw veggies for dinner. Like that's what you're going to have if you don't want my dinner. Oh, we love the like boiled veggies, boiled veggies, mm-hmm. uh, you know, pea carrot mix that's high in our mm-hmm. house. Yeah. 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 I mean, you do what you can. We're in the same boat. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Young, for coming on the podcast today to talk to us about this very, very important topic. We appreciate you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It means a lot. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old.